Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. All right, good morning one more time. Um, I'm going to be reading our scripture passage this morning. I'm not looking at TikTok on my phone. Um, But if you have a Bible app on your phone like me, pull that out. If you don't, there's a Bible right in front of you. So go ahead and take that. And the word of the Lord is for everyone. So if you don't have a Bible of your own, go ahead and take that home with you. Okay, we're going to be reading from Psalm Psalm 43. And we're just going to read the entire thing because it's pretty short. Okay, starting from verse 1. It says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God." Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm grateful to be able to bring the kind of the last message in our Art and Faith series. Before I did that, though, um, I just wanted to to kind of remember and recognize uh, a couple of people in our church. You know, November 1963 was a, was a pretty traumatic, actually, month in the history of our nation. Um, I was not alive then, but many of you were, and you remember that it was the, the month that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And um, when I was looking at kind of historical markers, that was a pretty significant one. Um, Renton, in this, this area, was a completely different place at that time. Uh, it was a little smaller, uh, quite a bit smaller, actually, uh, more of a rural community. Um, how many of you were here in, in 1963? Okay, a few of you, a few of you were here, so you remember, right? No, not, not alive, be here. Um, so uh, in, another significant thing happened in that month, uh, in that year. Um, renting grew by a few people. Um, there was a young couple that moved here. Uh, let me see if my clicker works here. This was the young couple before they moved here. This is Herb and Kathy Hegel. <laughs> Sitting right there. Uh, right, right, this is before they moved here, but around the same time that they moved here, this is what they looked like. And they're with their son, David. And I asked David, David gave me these pictures. It is, I have never been a part of a church that it has a couple like Herb and Kathy. Um, 60 years here in this church. In fact, I was told they lived just across the street. And as my family and I have gotten to know Herb and Kathy, one of the things that we have been just immensely blessed by is just their love and compassion for all people. Some of you know we actually lived at their house for a week when we first moved here and our family first moved here. But as a pastor, I kind of have a 30,000-foot view of the members of our church. I get to see a lot of things that most most people don't see. And since I've known Herb and Kathy, I have seen them love and serve and love and serve and give and pour out. 
They do so much ministry that is never publicly recognized. They are truly a bedrock couple of this church, which when they came here was called Calvary Baptist Church. And so uh, a few months ago, I was thinking of them, knowing that they'd been here for a long time, and I was at a lunch with Herb, and I leaned over to him and I said, what year was it again that you moved here? He said, 1963. I go, what month was it? He said, November. And so I wanted to just take a moment in the life of our church and to honor and recognize an amazing couple. Would you please come forward, Herb and Kathy? <laughs> come all the way up. Come on. <laughs> what were you saying? I wish I looked like that again. <laughs> <laughs> My hands are always cold. Oh, it's, it's winter. We just love you guys so much. We love you. And to have a, a model of faithfulness, um, you, you truly have impacted so many people's lives, many, many that you haven't seen or not here, but generations, literally, of folks um, that have come through and been a part of this church family. And I know not just here, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, some of whom are here today. Uh, some of their grandkids are here. And so we just want you to know that we love you. There's nothing we can do to express it fully, um, but here's just a, a gift of appreciation. I was told you like steak, so there's a gift of steak house in there. <laughs> um, and I just, I just wanna, I wanna thank God for you publicly through prayer. So would you just join with me, church family? Father, what a treasure. What a treasure. faithfulness, Lord God, faithfulness in marriage, faithfulness in commitment to you, faithfulness in being a tangible demonstration of the good news of Jesus, the gospel, to so many people. We thank you for Herb and Kathy. We thank you for uh, the spirit, your spirit that is clearly within them. And we just pray, Lord, would you, would you bless them in this season of life that they're in, all the seeds that they have sown, may they come back, Lord God, to them a hundredfold. May they see the fruit, and I know they have, but continued fruit, Lord God, in the days that you have before them. Would you bless them today and until then? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You also have to know I'm probably going to get in trouble for this because this is not Herb and Kathy's thing. <laughs> they they never wanted public recognition. That's why they have ministered so well, and I so so love you all. <clears throat> I feel like we should just stop there to say amen. <laughs> well, um, just to transition, as we are um, have been in a series on art and faith. Um, Aaron has just done a phenomenal job with this, something we talked about earlier in the year. We, we talked about, man, this is, a, this is a, the idea of creativity and of beauty is so integral to our world, and we need to make sure that there's a connection between it 
and who God has created us to be and what our faith is to be. And so I've just appreciated Aaron's leadership uh, through putting so much of this together. Um, the workshop that happened on Saturday, this, this last Saturday, conversations throughout the week. We only hear from different types of artists. Um, it's been a fun, it's been a fun time. Um, you know, I was thinking about, uh, we, we talked about this some months ago, the, the place of art in church history. You know, before the printing press ever existed, before we could just kind of print photos or illustrate books, the church would often commission artists to illustrate the Christian faith. Uh, and I've even thought about, wow, what a beautiful idea it would be to have like an artist in residence, right? We, we have, you know, paid pastors and youth pastors and worship leaders, but what if, we, what if we commissioned, what if we supported financially an artist? Throw that out there to you. But the reason I say that is because that's actually more historic. If you look at uh, architecture uh, in medieval times, the basilicas in the east and the cathedrals in the west. They were constructed by the church. They were these amazing works of art. And actually, whole communities would give to have this constructed, beautiful architecture. If you've ever set foot in an old building, I know, I know on the west coast here, like 100 years old is old, but I'm talking thousands of years old. And these places were not thrown up as quickly as possible. Many of them took generations to build. So the church commissioned these artists to do that. I was doing some research and I found that earlier this year, in, there was um, ancient Nubian Christian art discovered. Nubian art is what would be considered uh, Sudan now, Sudan in Africa. And so this idea of, of art being inspired by the faith is historic. And unfortunately, I feel like we've kind of lost some of that uh, in recent years as a church. If you move forward kind of from some of the medieval times, we see in music there was composers such as Mozart and Bach who were inspired by their Christian faith. In fact, in a biblical commentary, his personal biblical commentary, Johann Sebastian Bach wrote his own thoughts in the margins. In one place he said, With devotional music, God is always present in his grace. We feel that sometimes, don't we? So we see this kind of ancient historic roots in art. Moving a little closer to my era, child of the 80s and 90s, um, one of my early hip-hop artists, pop artist named MC Hammer. You know his top song? His, to his best-selling song, it wasn't too legit to quit, it was Pray. Does anybody remember that song? You got to pray just to make it today? Okay, we'll play it later. <laughs> and then we move even a little closer in our current generation, and we look at artists like Taylor Swift and Coldplay and Beyonce. Actually, countless pop artists today, their foundation for their music, do you know where it started, where it was birthed, where the seeds were planted? In the church. Even maybe if they've, they've kind of moved away from that and even rejected their parents' faith, all of them, the ones that I just mentioned and so many more, got their start in the church. John Legend, a famous R&B singer, led the choir at his church from piano. And it all makes sense, doesn't it? The God who painted the sky and created things, kind of odd things, like a platypus and a giraffe, he put in us, as his image bearers, 
the ability to create. And when we do, our art, our creativity, has the ability to reveal something about God, the truth about who he is, and about our place in his creation. We've been using this slide kind of as our theme this last month. Beauty, goodness, and truth, and how these things, as they're represented in, in, in art, lead us to the heart of God. And so we're going to finish out our series today talking about art and the truth of God. In the passage Jude just read from Psalm 43, we see this line. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Now, the psalmist makes this request of God because things are not going well. There's wickedness and there's oppression and he's dealing with grief. There's evil people all around him. And in the middle of the psalm, he makes this request. Light representing the understanding and life that we need. And I need to understand what's going on. I need life in the midst of what seems like death. Would you send out your light, which represents these things? And then truth represents God's faithfulness, his faithful word, where in the middle of the hardships, the psalmist might find the guidance he needs. All good art does this. All good art illuminates and then tells the truth. When we look back at church history, this was the goal of the artists and craftsmen. When the church gathered, the artists and craftsmen wanted to create a tangible expression of the truth of God. If you've ever been in an old church, you see just the way, just the majesty of the cathedrals. It's meant to capture the grandeur of God. The colors and the lights meant to magnify and to illuminate what's going on. I've been in some old churches where the stained glass itself tells the biblical story. And so when artists and craftsmen would engage in this way, it was to illuminate the truth. It was to send out that light and that truth. Not only did these craftsmen and these artists want the gathered church to have a, a tangible representation of God's truth, but many of them were actually very aware of God's spirit with them in the creative process. They weren't alone. One of the names of God is the spirit of truth. That is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit that he will be with us as his people and that he will lead us into all truth. John 14, John 15, John 16, there's this unveiling of what is to, to be accessible for all of us through the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. This is the same spirit that Genesis says hovered over the waters in creation and that empowers the people of God to co-create with him. I mentioned how Bach was aware of the presence of God in his music. And there's, this, there's a fascinating story in scripture that confirms what Bach experienced. It wasn't just kind of a tingly feeling. And it shows how God's spirit empowers people, not just for 
preaching or evangelism or other areas that we would traditionally think of as Christian ministry. But the Spirit of God also empowers his people to create. Maybe you've read this before and you kind of skipped over it a little bit, but in the, the, the story of the Exodus, as the people of God have been freed from Egypt, and there's this sense of, of, of new beginnings, of, of a restoration of relationship between them and the God who made a promise to them, God is giving them instructions on a tabernacle to be built, where he says, I will dwell with you, a, a tangible expression of the Spirit of God in the middle of his people. I'm going to live with you in this tabernacle. And he gives very specific instructions on how this is to be built. And the word of God calls craftsmen from among the people to come and to be a part of this. And I want to read you just one portion of this scripture, which talks about how the spirit of God is present in the creative process. It says, Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Ohiliab son of Ahisamech, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designs. So, Bezalel and Ohiliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord commanded. Pretty amazing, right? This is sacred work. This is co-creating with God in his, what? In his restoration. What is happening here? The presence of God is coming back to his people and we get to be a part of ushering that in. File that away. Come back to that. Some years ago, uh, my wife and I were uh, approached by a friend of ours who is getting ready to put on an orphan summit, uh, kind of around foster care and adoption, uh, really a resourcing time for people that are interested in that. And he said, hey, part of this, this summit, we're going to have worship uh, and kind of some general gatherings that we're going to have. Would you and your wife be able to put together a team and lead that worship? And so, um, for those of you who know, we've adopted two kids. We've been foster parents for a number of years as well. And we're like, yeah, we're all in. However, we can support this. And so, uh, as we were planning for it, there was some kind of, like, YouTube video that was released of a, of a guy um, in the middle of a worship song, like, giving a spoken word. And it was, like, super cool. It's like, oh, my gosh, look at this. Like, in church music, somebody's doing almost like a rap. And so, my friend sent it to me. He's like, dude, could you do something like this? That would be so awesome. And I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't write my own music. I play other people's music. I don't, I've never written a poem in my life. You're asking me to not just write a poem, but kind of integrate it with a song? No chance, bro. So I went back and told my wife, and she's like, what have you tried? I was like, I don't know. And you know how sometimes like, 
Somebody will say no, and then they'll think about it, and then they'll do it. That's what ended up happening. So I sat down, and I, <laughs> and I, and I did it. And, and it was really interesting. I had never done this before. I'd never written anything like this. And when I, when I wrote this, I felt something like kind of engage in me that had never, I've never engaged. It was like a new muscle. <laughs> and before I knew what was happening, over the next few months, I didn't write just one, I wrote eight. It was like, I, I can only say, like, I felt like God's spirit stirring up something within me that I never knew I had. I'm going to read you the first one that I wrote. They weren't all great, okay? <laughs> um, and this, again, is written in the context of an adoption summit. But adoption is a theme in the Gospels, too, so I'm gonna, I'll just read it to you. Born without a name, without a hope, only shame. Who am I? But I do have a name, only it's not one that leads to fame. Lost, afraid, lonely, and confused, rejected, neglected, and abused, this is my name and my identity. Where do I look for validity? Who am I? I didn't choose this life, choose my destiny, choose to be rejected or my hopeless eternity, but I exist nonetheless and breathe in and out this hopelessness. Because maybe someday, in some miraculous way, things will change. But until then, I'll continue to ask, who am I? And then it happened. I didn't earn it or choose it, but in my darkest day, you changed my name. No longer was my name lost or afraid, lonely or confused, rejected or abused. You changed my name. Who am I? My new name is loved and accepted. It's chosen and beloved. It's adored and treasured. You changed my name. My situation is no longer grim. My life is new in the light of him who called me, chose me, adopted me. A new name, a new family, a new destiny. You changed my name and my new identity. It fits like a glove because the one who changed me did it all in love. I didn't read this because of anything. I didn't want to even want you guys to clap, but um, I didn't read this for that. What I, what I, what I read it, to you for is to illustrate how there is something within us when we submit to God and we say, okay, Lord, I will, do, I will try to do this thing, even if it's outside of my comfort zone, and his spirit carries us along, co-creates with us. Like I said, I wrote this thinking that's it, and I wrote eight more without even thinking about it. There was something unlocked in me, and I feel like this is what we desire, as Aaron and I have talked about, there will be something unlocked within the members of our church where they might see and know that the Spirit of God wants to empower them in this way. The question that often comes up as we think about beauty, goodness, and truth in the heart of God is, what is truth? What is truth? 
This is a question that was asked of Jesus right before he suffered and died. He was taken before a governor named Pilate. He was being accused of all sorts of crimes. And Jesus says to Pilate in John 18.36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? With this, he went on again to the Jews gathered there. Pilate actually never waits for Jesus' answer. He goes and gives the people what they want. As Christians, we know that truth has an origin, has a foundation in God. We know that truth is a person. It's Jesus. We believe that truth is revealed through the one who made everything and then stepped into what he made to make it right after our broken sinfulness distorted it. So the arts have power. The arts have power to illuminate or to distort what is true. When a creator seeks to bring joy or to provoke change through their art, then they're adding something beautiful and good to those who experience their art. Think of the song that reminds you of God's goodness, the poetry that evokes an emotion, or the life story told in a movie that inspires you to change. But the same power to bring life can also bring death. The same creativity can that can illuminate the truth can also distort the truth. This is seen when creative people, creators and artists, try to normalize through their art things that are evil. In more overt ways, this takes place through things like propaganda, whether it's racist propaganda in the South or anti-Semitic propaganda in Nazi Germany that seeks to dehumanize or any other sort of messaging that at its core distorts what is true and tries to make what is a lie seem okay. In more subtle forms, we have art and pop culture that pushes us in similar ways that propaganda does. In music, we see messaging that makes idols of relationships, money, and fame, as if the key to life is found in those things. But it's a lie. And even more subtle, it's a distortion of the truth that takes place through so many of these creatives. Taking things that are meant to be good, but representing them in ways that are not. One example of this is the increasing prevalence of sexual acts shown in nearly every streaming series that's been released in recent years. This, again, is also a type of propaganda. If you see what is good in a different way, then it will eventually see, it'll eventually lead you to a lie about what was supposed to be good. So our exposure to art like our exposure to information, is a lot different now than when Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. Back then, you couldn't download it. There was no art museums. You had to go to very specific places and take it in. 
in Michelangelo's times, people didn't have paintings just hanging on the wall. They didn't go to Hobby Lobby and purchase the, the latest holiday decor. There was only specific times and places that you could even engage with beautiful art. But in our day, what? It's everywhere. We're overwhelmed by it, whether it's the streaming services or whether it's the internet. We have access to it. Like We have access to so many things. So what is good and true? That's the question that we wrestle with. One of the other questions that's often asked is, should I only listen or watch or engage with Christian art? We then have to ask, what is Christian art? We had Brady just the other week say, you know, I prefer to be an artist who's a Christian than a Christian artist. And there's this dynamic, where is that line of what is good and true? One kind of guiding verse that I think helps us to to measure these things is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. At the end of his letter, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is a great verse to have in our minds as we're engaging in the world that we live in. But even then, we have to ask, well, what is noble? What's the example of that? What is admirable? What is, again, true? How do we know? Jesus is the answer to that. Jesus demonstrates nobility and honor. He demonstrates these things as God in the flesh. We're actually not reading this right if we think it means that every song or illustration or film or creative expression has to be some sort of like Thomas Kincaid picture with worship music playing behind it. Yes, those things are okay and beautiful in their place, but it's not cookie cutter. Truth carries with it joy. Yes, it does. But truth also brings with it honesty, like the psalm that Jude just read. Things are not going well, God. That's true. It can convey despair, like Jesus did in the garden. And art can convey heartache and desire, like we see in the Song of Solomon. So whether you consider yourself a Christian artist or an artist who is Christian, doesn't really matter to me, good art illuminates and points to the truth. When you and I create, we get to engage with the psalmist's request that God send out his light and his truth. We get to be part of the answer to that. As Christians, we know that all truth is found in the creator God who fully revealed himself in Jesus. When the psalmist asked God to send out his light and his truth, he didn't know it, but what he was asking for was Jesus. And our world is asking for the same thing today. What is good? What is noble? What is admirable? What is true? I need those things. What do they need? They need Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. And as he said to Pilate, everyone on the side of truth listens to Here's the other thing, though. 
Jesus is the light of the world. John 8. But you know what Jesus also said? We are the light of the world. We, his people. Matthew 5. We are the light of the world. When we place our faith in Jesus, we get to join with God in illuminating what is true. We get to partner with him in creating things that are full of beauty and goodness and truth. So whether you ever progress past drawing stick figures or writing a poem more complex than roses are red and violets are blue, that doesn't matter. God wants all people to know his heart, and he invites us to create, to co-create alongside of him in this beautiful, good, and true world that he has made. And so as we finish out this series, I hope it's been inspiring to you, and I hope that we can continue the conversation past this, that we can seek God and say, your spirit, you give it to me, and would I be able to work with you in co-creating something beautiful and good and true for this world? We're gonna close out our time um, with a word of prayer, and then I'm gonna have Ben come up and just kind of finish it out for us. So Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for the stories that have been told in recent weeks. We thank you for the, the art we've been able to enjoy and the conversations we've been able to have. But most of all, we thank you for your truth revealed to us in so many beautiful ways. Would it be what we hold on to? Would it be what's guided, what guides us in the days ahead? And Father, we thank you that as you are the light of the world, you call us to be the light as well, and you are with us in that. So may we be that as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.